Welcome to episode 43 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. It's All-Star Weekend, Daz. Uh, have you been able to catch any of the All-Star festivities so far this weekend? I managed to squeeze in um, a few of the highlights. I saw <laughs> partial Carl Anthony Towns in the skills contest. Who won the skills contest, by the way? Uh, Dimwitty won the skills contest. Oh, did he? Oh, right. That's a surprise. Um, I saw Tobias Harris lighted up for a round in the three-point contest that uh, didn't see the finals. Obviously, I know Booker won. And I saw, I literally saw one dunk live, and that was um, uh, Mitchell doing his Vince Carter routine, which was pretty cool. It looked like he slipped a little bit, so it wasn't quite as dramatic. He slipped on I, the first one, then he slipped a little bit on the second attempt, and, yeah, and um, yeah. it wasn't quite, yeah, it wasn't quite as up, up there as what Vince got. But no, I think it's I caught I caught bits of it, but no, it wasn't. Um, I, I do like that it still goes on. It just didn't it just didn't grip me today. Did you see some? I saw the dunk contest. I saw the end of the three point shootout, and then um, Tobias Harris was killing it in the championship round, and then hit one of his last nine shots. So he sort of maybe got in his head a little bit, and then Booker shot really well, uh, particularly towards the end. I think he made his four out of his last five and got a really big score, and then Clay Thompson couldn't quite catch him at the end. So, And then I saw it was a very much a retro sort of feel about the dunk contest. Uh, you had Donovan Mitchell put on Dr. Duncan Stein's jersey, uh, for one of his, what was that guy's name from Utah again? I think you remembered his name, um, Griffith. I do. This was the this was my peak, yeah, formative years. Daryl Griffith. He could jump out of the gym. Doctor Duncanstein. What a great nickname, huh? Yeah, that's a yeah. great. Well, anyway, he got the he got the old retro jazz uniform, including the John Stockton shorts, and uh, <laughs> did a did a dunk over Kevin Hart and his brother and sister came out. So that was a nice moment. And uh, Larry Nance Jr. got some magicians to come out and they put him in one of those sort of um, you know little changing booths and then pulled it down he had his, his dad's Phoenix jersey on and he did the um, one of the, the dunks um, that Larry Nance did that back cradle, in 1984 the, the cradle dunk the cradle dunk yeah so that was a that was a couple of great moments um, for the retro. And look, even before that, like there was a nice moment just before that where they had uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, and Grant Hill came out together as sort of different eras of the NBA, um, which was a nice moment as well. And as I think I commented to you that uh, it's nice to see how much respect and how much of a platform the NBA gives their players, uh, unlike, say, the NFL, who seems to want to always shunt, shunt their players into the background. So it's it's nice to be able to celebrate players like that, and that's what they very much did today, sort of celebrated the past. And, and we saw some of the future with the likes of um, Dimwitty and, and Dennis, Dennis Smith Jr. had a nice couple of nice dunks. Uh, Oladipo was there as well for the dunk contest, and obviously Donovan Mitchell, who we've spoken about quite a bit. So, it, it, look, it was a good feeling all around. I, I'm sort of changing a little bit on the All-Star game. I'm not sure what your feeling is. I, I just think listening to the players, this is a weekend the players love, and I guess we've got it's not so much about the fans and about the media and things like that. It is about the players and then celebrating them. So I guess if, if we take it in that light and we and we take it for what it is, maybe we can still get something out of the All-Star weekend. And it's a little bit of, um, I was thinking last year was just on that point, 
watching it through the eyes of Giannis, who was probably giving more effort than anybody. If you remember last year's All-Star game, Bowra was perfect, right? So it allowed, like, he just played, he played to the crowd. You even have the, the famous photo where he's going in for one of his, the dunk where he jumped over, you know, Steph Curry just lied down on the ground. Do you remember that one last year? And Giannis goes up and you see LeBron in the background sort of laughing. And it just was a, just to that point, it is, it's nice actually, isn't it? When you've got the young guys, especially who are just sort of, you know, starting to grab the spotlight and become superstars. And I think certainly Mitchell, Mitchell's probably going to fit that bill. Obviously he's not in the all-star game, but man, he grabbed the headlines today. So yeah, it's gotta be fun. And Zach Lowe um, talks about, you know, he's probably of our ilk the parties are epic at <laughs> the weekend of all-star weekend, especially in LA. But, uh, yeah, um, we can only dream, I suppose, of the, of the talent at those parties. But, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's just, it's just fun. I don't, you know, the game used to mean more, you know, especially the, you know, the magic bird era and the, the games meant a lot, which was, which was really awesome. But Hey, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not one who gets upset about the format or if we see, the televised picking of teams, its that doesn't really, it doesn't phase me too much. I think much, it'll so. be interesting tomorrow if it yeah. gets close. If it's close with, say, six minutes to go, I think you're going to see a little bit more competitiveness than what we've probably seen in the past, um, particularly with LeBron there. And and the, and the, I guess the LeBron versus Steph dynamic that will go on and a, and a little bit of bragging, right? So I don't think it's going to be Game 7 NBA Finals level, but it's probably going to be a little bit above what the Phoenix Suns have shown in the last 10 games as well, does. So it's going to be somewhere in between those two um, yeah. levels of competitiveness. What and, and another thing that happens over these few days is we've got the Hall of Fame, Nominees have been announced. Uh, so that was announced today. We had uh, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Ray Allen, uh, Grant Hill, and Chris Webber. I mean, did, did they all sort of feel like uh, bona fide Hall of Fame, you know, no brain Hall of Fame? Or was it a bit of a question mark over any of them for you? Uh, Kidd, no brainer. Um, Steve Nash, no brainer. Uh, Ray Allen, the other one? Yeah, that's a no brainer. Yeah, right. the only problem with Ray Allen is they're probably going to show that shot from Game 6, 2013. Yeah, it'll make you puke 150 times on it. <laughs> I know, I know. We all have those moments in our fandom, but he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Look, I was... The other two, you, you would want to say yes on name recognition and how popular they were and just how great they were, Grant Hill and Chris Webber, but... You know, obviously Grant Hill famously was, he was on Jordan-esque type, you know, career trajectory is for five or six years and the injuries just ravaged him right when he was in Orlando. He barely played what, you know, I don't know, 50 games in three years or four years or something, right? Mm -hmm. And then he kind of, you know, resurrected himself later in his career, but, you know, in his 30s and he played till he was... Here's my question without notice. Do you remember, you know, he obviously played, he went and played for Orlando, and then he played for Phoenix for a number of years, right, with Steve Nash. Do you remember the last team he ended his career with? It wasn't with Phoenix. Did he go up to Toronto? No, no. Total no where was he? He was out with, um, he played actually with Chris Paul. He was out with the Clippers in the first year Chris Paul oh, was in he LA. Was, you're right. Now I do remember yeah. that now that you say it, but I wouldn't yeah. know, I would never have got it until you told me. Yeah, he had a little cup of tea anyway. He's played, I think, 30, looks like 29 games that year. But um, look, so, so that one, if you, 
if you include college career as well, I know it's an NBA. Well, it's not an NBA. It is the basketball hall of fame. It is the basketball. It is. It's it not. Is. It's not just NBA. That's why I say Manu Ginobili's a, a guarantee to get in because of what he's done outside of the NBA as well. Well, look, because I think if you stacked up the numbers for Grant Hill and the, you know the all, first team All NBAs, that those things aren't going to be there. But in terms of you know longevity, his college career and. Um, you know, he's just a gentleman of the game and who, again, pretty amazingly was is really effective at age 36, 37, 38. Those, obviously, my sort of peak Phoenix, you know, seven seconds or less teams. He was brilliant those years, you know, played 80, 80 games a year every year in his late 30s. So I think he's just earned so much respect around the league. I think he's in. And then Weber, I think, similarly, his career wasn't as long, obviously, but his um, – it was spectacular while it lasted, and again, his college career quite famous. God, actually, law he played until he was thirty-three, thirty-four, didn't he? I was just looking at yeah, but Weber's he was total very, career. very, very ordinary. I think he ended up in Philly, didn't he? But he was not—he was not at all good in the last few years. Believe it or not, he played Philly and then forty-three games with Detroit, and then he fell off the cliff. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight, he had nine games in Golden State, actually. Oh, and um, he fell off the cliff. But he had that, you know, one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine. He got a 10-year run. But he was you know, never the same after he left Sacramento. Never the same when he left after he left Sacramento. No, he's gonna, he was 31, 32 when he left for Philadelphia. So yeah. pretty much averaging 20, you say 23 and 12 over that 10-year period and was such a dynamic player. Um, he'd be hard to keep out. So he, I, I guess it's, it's not unlike baseball. I don't know if many people are listening follow the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's just so ridiculously strict and it's so analytical. I think the NBA does it right or the basketball often does it right. You celebrate the stars. And so as much as I want to say if I was going analytics and numbers and accolades and titles and first team all NBAs and that sort of thing, Hill and Weber are definitely on the fence. But um, you have to put them in. These are famous iconic players from their generation. I don't yeah. know. What do you think? Are there any fence, Oh, no, I, th- I think they're you? right. I think Hill and, Hill and Weber are on the cusp. I mean, I like the Bill Simmons idea. I don't know if you've read the book of basketball by Bill Simmons, but he has a he says the Hall of Fame should be ranked. So you have the Pantheon, and I think these Pantheons started with Moses Malone and sort of obviously went up to Michael Jordan. And then but he had other guys, that, like the Reggie Millers, etc., of the world, who were, were great players in their own right, but probably sh- shouldn't be on considered on the same level as some of those other guys. So, And I think that's a similar where we're looking at here. Mm. You've got the no-brainers that go in, you know, some of the best players of all time. Uh, and then you've got guys that are, well, while they were great players, injury derailed them or whatever. I mean, I think Grant Hill could have been one of the all-time greats. I think he could have been a top 10 player of all time if he doesn't get injured. One of my favourite players to watch uh, is speaking in those early years in Detroit. He was un- he was outstanding. But uh, the injuries just kept coming. And still, you, you could see the ho- hoops IQ later on in his career when he was in Phoenix. He was still such a beautiful player to watch. His vision around the court. Everything was so easy for him. It was just so beautiful to watch. Everything was easy. Yeah, He could run. He could jump. He was just the fluidity. He was... He was poetry, yeah, yeah. And that's so, why I still, Ben Simmons, that's my comp for Ben Simmons, I think. He reminds me of Grand Hill. Uh, not not 100% the same player, but just that, that sort of vision and the, and the ease at which he's moving around the court. That's where I see the Grand Hill side in, in Ben Simmons' game. 
Yeah, and a little bit of Tatum as well. I think you can Tatum so fluid and so smooth, and I guess a little the little Duke thing there. But um, it's interesting. Grant Hill for me was, um, you know, he was the Duke Evil Empire. So I you just grew up, you know, it was a dude loved college basketball. He was sort of hating him, and then Detroit, you know, obviously was a um, you know a, a division foe for me for a long time. So I I wasn't a fan of his at all. And then you know he had those horrible yet humbling humbling injuries and then this time in Orlando and then resurrected himself as a, you know, as a son and a totally different player. So he's, there's one of those guys almost like LeBron has done with me. He's just a complete 180 as I've seen his career arc and career trajectory and just watched how they've changed themselves and just, yeah, just such a great ambassador. So anyway, a little bit of uh, a soft spot in my heart for Grant Hill. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'd say they'll all get in the in the NBA. I mean, a lot of what ifs. Quickly on Weber, if Weber stays in Golden State and doesn't get traded after a season, who knows what with his career? His career better is it as good as it worse? There's a lot of what ifs there because he didn't reach his potential. I don't think in Washington we didn't see his best basketball till he got to Sacramento, and they obviously had that great through a four year run uh, oh. when he was there, and and obviously I think should have won a title. Um, but unfortunately didn't, and then uh, then his career sort of fell off a cliff uh, a bit later on in, the, in his career. And as we noted earlier, Steve Nash, no-brainer. Jason Kidd, no-brainer. Ray Allen, no-brainer. Um, yeah. They'll be three. Well, what a great – that's a great class, though, isn't it? That is a, that's a really impressive It is, class. and I mean, there's some, there's some great players coming up. You know, you've got Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant not that far away either from from having their names called. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> Can you imagine, imagine their two acceptance speeches. Oh God! <laughs> I think there'll be like some a... different. I don't. It, I, I, I'm not even sure Tim Duncan would turn up actually, but uh, <laughs> the, the, yeah, you yeah. couldn't get two more yeah. two more opposite uh, players. So what we're going to yeah. do tonight, Dad, you've already sort of touched on a little bit. We're going to have some questions without notice. So I'm just going to fire some questions at you that deal with um, some of the things that have happened in the NBA and, and just basketball in general, I guess. The first thing I'm going to ask you about, though, touches on Adam Silver's press conference today. This is something, this is a hill I've been on for a while. And he sort of said, look, they're going to start looking at a 1 through 16 seeding for the playoffs. Uh, they're going to look at abandoning the conference system as it pertains to the playoffs. Is that something you'd be in favour of, do you think? I mean, is that... Is that something that you think would work? I, I like it for the point of view is I just think it makes it, it, it it's there's been an asterisk on this great run of LeBron's and I don't know if it's any fault of his but and, and we touched on this last week just he hasn't had the uh, marquee matchups and the, and the great memorable moments in the playoffs that he probably should have uh, being such a great player because the East has been so weak. So I think the fact that they're being able to, to roll through to the finals every single year, even when some years they're not being the second best team, if you get one through 16 together, nine times out of 10 you're going to get the two best teams playing off in the NBA finals. And I think that's what we want to see. And, and you can also get excited about other matchups like a Spurs Cavs in the quarterfinals or the semifinals, you know, rather than just having to wait to see those teams in the finals. So I, I like it. I guess there's some logistical things they'd have to have to figure out. But I'm interested in your thoughts on, on whether you think that's a good idea and you see the sense behind it. I'll be honest, I'm torn. I'm a little bit of old-fashioned traditionalist when, you know, so if you look back over a wide-angle lens over the NBA, there's a there's a neat 
you know, we, I've talked about a lot, right? A, when you have contrasting styles and you have polarity and you have different, different styles colliding. And I've, there's something that's always been distinctly East versus West in a way, right? Whether that was, you know, Bill Russell versus Chamberlain or it was Magic versus Bird, you know, Showtime versus the, you know, the blue collar grinded out intelligent ball of that uh, Boston were playing, if it was Jordan versus, you know, Malone and Stockton and, you know, Ewing versus Olajuwon and so on. And, and I guess there's something I kind of like about having a an affinity towards, you know, a bit a little miniature brotherhood of teams. And so, you know, when my Bucks don't make the finals, which is, oh, every year of my life, <laughs> you know, I, I almost always root for the East because I just kind of, you know, I just, I don't know. There's something about, you know, pulling for the teams, I guess, you're more familiar with. And they're kind of your common foes. So just in terms of a historical lens, I do sort of like the purity of, I guess, or just keeping the East versus West. But the look, it's a compelling argument. You know, the last several years in particular, I don't even know if I say that. If I mean when I say that, you know, as if the, the Cavs weren't um, worthy. As I can see the argument that, you know, let the cream rise to the top. Um, and God, who wouldn't want Houston Golden State this year? But um, so I go. What's I guess? What's the downside? Is you lose the, I guess you lose a bit of the history and a bit of the traditions and the and the I guess that cultural sort of affinity you have, you know, for your Eastern Conference or your Western Conference sort of you know, quote unquote brothers. But I guess the upside is it, I guess, creates some interest. Well, there's sure much more interest. I, mean, I, I was just thinking yeah. about now, like if you've got a Houston. Utah first round series, for example, I don't think I'm not all that excited about that. And I love the Jazz as we've spoken about a number of times this year, but I think that's a that's a bad matchup for the Jazz. Uh, I can't see them pushing that series too long. But if it's Toronto versus Utah in a similar situation, now I'm excited about that series, and I think that's a fascinating series. All of a sudden, if it's Portland against Cleveland in the first round. That is a fascinating series to watch, rather than Cleveland, Detroit, or something like that. And you're just like, oh, I've, I've seen this. I know how this movie ends. I've seen this before. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I hear you. I thought would generate interest, and we've seen that with baseball, with interleague play, the attendance for interleague play. Again, those of you who don't follow baseball, they had very strong, you know, national and American leagues for years and years and years. And I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, they brought in interleague play, and those games. The attendance is up. It still is up when you play an uncommon opponent. But I, there's something about the, the sanctity of you've played 82, and now you've got to grind out seven. You've got to grind out four and seven. And there's something, the emotional drain and the, the, the parts of you know the relationship, relationships you have against teams who you see frequently, I think there's more at work mentally, emotionally, psychologically you know, when Cleveland goes to battle against a, you know, a Detroit or a Boston or, or a Washington for for six or seven early in the, you know, in the playoffs. There's something about that. You're so common. You know each other so well. And winning those types of series are just different. They're just they're just different than when you're, you know, again, you're Utah versus Toronto, who, you know, has never played a meaningful game in their, in their and that matchup's existence, I kind of go, I don't, am I really going to care other than, you know, just the interesting basketball? So that's why I'm also, I'm torn. I can see the upside, especially in years of, say, you had your, you know, let's say Cleveland didn't make this great trade and, 
Boston falls off the map and the three or four best teams in the whole league are in one conference, I can go, God, you'd love to preserve that to the end and give, you know, a Houston or whomever a shot. But I'm torn. I, I'm, I'm endlessly torn. So I'm, I'm open to, I guess, experimenting, but I'm, I'm not just a, a no-brainer gung-ho on it. Yeah, I mean, well, you know where I land, but I, I, I take your point. I mean, I think I look back on the San Antonio-Houston series last year and that there's a lot of history that goes into a matchup like that uh, rather than, you know, San Antonio building some team from the east to advance uh, in the finals or in the playoff series as well. So I, I take both sides of it. I, th- I think there is an argument on both sides. And, and as I said earlier, there's obviously some logistical things they have to figure out. But I think that's where we're headed. Um, and, the, and if LeBron does leave conferences, I mean, if, if this is a change they're really looking at, the LeBron going to the West now, that opens up all sorts of... Um, extra possibilities for him because obviously one of the things he might be thinking about at the moment is I'm not sure I want to go to the West where there's all these loaded teams if they change it and I don't think they're going to change it next season but they may change it within the next couple of seasons that makes it a little bit more palatable for him to actually move over to the West and and, and be part of a contending team and make a deep playoff yeah. run Isn't, Would it also beg the question around the scheduling because I go how do you now rank you know, so many teams who in all likelihood might have the same record. So you can have all kinds of weird tiebreakers as well. So that's also their possibility. If you've got jumbles of teams, particularly like we see this year, there'd be a number of teams who end up, you know, 45 and 37, let's say. You could have four teams that end up with that. And if you have imbalanced schedules, you know, you could get into second and third and fourth layer tiebreakers and you sort of, you just I don't like the splitting of hairs that way. Mm. So if I could see some if, if some of those mechanical things like that, like the seating is pretty clear and, and I guess the players association agrees. I'm I'm kind of curious about it, but I'm not I'm not gung ho, I guess. I'm not so like, yeah, we've gotta do it, we've gotta do it, we all preserve Houston's chance and that sort of thing. I'm I'm definitely not in that camp. Because yeah. um yeah, because who would have thought, right? Who would have thought Kyrie and the Cavs would have come back? Right, two years ago, that was one of the most remarkable, you know, seven-game series. And likewise, you know, with the heat, the Miami and San Antonio, I go these. There's been so many epics, you know, in recent memory. I just are like, why do you fuck with it? So, um, yeah. Well, I'm also. Anyway. I mean, look, it, it, last season's plus were very disappointing, but there was a number of reasons behind that, and, and most of them were to do with injuries. I mean, Golden State. Everyone they faced, Bar Cleveland, was hobbled by injury. So you just hope that you're going to get better health this year. And if we get a much more interesting playoff series on, on both sides of the conference, um, I think that, that will dissipate this argument a little bit. I think why it came up is because of how bad Cleveland were. And I think there was a worry that gee, if, if Cleveland go through the playoffs this year and, and roll with, with this bad a team, uh, then there's there's a definite argument I think to move to the one to one through sixteen uh, because the east is just so far beyond the west. But we'll see where it sort of ends up at the end of this year. Let me ask you a quick. Uh, oh, sorry, I guess the other, last point. No, yeah. I just said the other thing was you know you just you just don't know right. You just also I go you just don't know when you know there could be a migration. You know Hayward goes east and now Blake's gone east. You just you just don't know when I guess guys are going to change conferences and shift. You know, tip the scales, I guess, in terms of, you know, the, the powers of the teams or, like, the next couple of years, the Bucks and the Sixers could be just as good as, you know, Houston, San Antonio. You, you know what I mean? So just, you just don't know. And so I guess the over-engineering of things, I, I don't 
I guess I don't love the tinkering unless there's an actual problem. I go, what what problem do we solve by it? Other than it's a little bit interesting, I just don't know if it solves a problem. So, well, I um, think the problem is: are we getting num- the the two best teams in the NBA finals? And I think there was a real, and this year has been exacerbated by the fact that the two clear best teams in the league, and I guess. The Raptors might want to have an argument where, where they fit into that, but I think it's clear that Houston and Golden State are one and two, and that's the finals that everyone wants to see. And it's going to be a little bit of an anticlimax to see that in the Western Conference finals yeah. uh, and then have to look at the NBA finals and go, well, this is a fait accompli that these guys are going to um, just roll well, over it, the top of, of whoever they yeah. whoever they meet. That's what I'm saying. I guess I'm not as purist. It's, I go In the NFL... I, I think it's, you know, because any given bounce of one play, one series changes things so dramatically where I go, this is a seven-game series. Your best two teams, I mean, it's not like Cleveland didn't earn their way into the finals last year. You know, they, they had to work themselves to get to it. They just didn't have enough defense, right? You could say their offense was, was ready to compete. And I go, oh, by the way, they're competing with a 73-win team who added an MVP player. So I think last year was an anomaly. So I don't think 2017 should be a benchmark or a reason to do anything sort of sort of differently. Um, so I just hate to have recency bias affect kind of, you know, something that's been – hasn't really been broken. Um, but – I go, other sports deal with this all the time, right? Because every year the Packers lose the NFC Championship. <laughs> I always say, well, the second best team in the NFL isn't, they're not in the Super Bowl, so, um, and they tend to lose it every year. So, yeah, we'll see, we'll anyway, see what happens. We'll see. Let's watch this space, I guess. So, let's talk about the Eastern Conference. Here's my next question about now is who, who's your tip to win the Eastern Conference as we sit here at the All Star break? I hate that question. <laughs> So is this the, do I jump on the, um, the turgidity of the land and everyone is in a state of semi-wood now that they've got all these young dudes? Do I buy the uh, Dwayne Casey for the coach of the year? And they pass the eye test. I've been talking about Toronto all off-season, all preseason, all, all during the season. They're just playing the right basketball and the smartest basketball. And now after, what, almost 57 games, they're the number one seed, and then Boston, who's had the most amazing sort of run, uh, considering all the turnover, but kind of, uh, what's the stat I heard? I think Zach Glow tipped us off the last, um, last we saw Boston slip to the 22nd in the league in offensive rating. You know, so very, very quietly, they're the bottom third in the league in offense, which is a, which is a worrying trend. Um, if I had to, so what's the, so there's two different ways to answer, I'm going to answer this question. One is the, what do I think? And then there's the one, if I actually had to go to Ladbrokes and put money on it. If I'm putting money, I'm putting money on, oh, man, I'm, I'm actually going to put money on Cleveland, right? I yeah. just don't bet against LeBron. I just So if I'm putting money down, it's probably on Cleveland, on Ladbrokes, but my brain tells me that I think Toronto is good enough to beat them. I think they're so deep and so clever, but then I go, I see them fail every single year. That's the and thing. It's I mean, funny. If we hadn't seen, yeah. if, if we just had never seen basketball for the last 20 years, you know, and, and here we are, we're just watching a game, we don't know the history of those two teams. 
we'd be saying this is a no-brainer. Why are we having a debate here? The Raptors are so much better than the Cavs. It's not funny. They're going to roll through the playoffs and they're going to meet. And, and they, you know, they actually match up reasonably well with the Warriors and Rockets and they could they could make that into a series in the NBA Finals. But you, you just look back on the history and you see what LeBron did to them, albeit with Kyrie Irving, last season. And it was an absolute embarrassment. And I just, yeah. until I see... I, I think with Toronto, what I want to see from them is, and they're likely, let's let's suggest they play Philly in the first round, which I don't think that's an unreasonable suggestion. That's, that's the way it looks at the moment. I want to see them come out and just punch Philly in the face right from the start and just blow them yeah. out the first two games and say, no, we are a legit number one seed. We're not mucking around. Not like when, when they were the the two served a couple of years ago and they eventually met the Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals but they really struggled through the first couple of rounds against pretty inferior opponents and by doing that they sort of lost a bit of faith in themselves and I think everyone sort of questioned just actually they were the one seed weren't they that year Um, the two years ago, yeah, two years ago. So they were the yeah. one seed. So, um, and they and they look likely to be the one seed. I think Boston's uh, they're regressing on the defensive and offensive ends, from what I'm seeing. So I'm not. I'm sort of out on Boston at the moment. I actually think Washington and Milwaukee are better chances than Boston, unless Hayward makes some sort of miraculous recovery, which I can't see happening. Look, I'm not saying I'm not going to say that because they still play ridiculously smart. I just think they're. I think where Boston's just getting exposed for some of their offensive limitations when Kyrie, you know, isn't isn't carrying them. Um, but I, well, I, I don't, don't like them in close games either because it just becomes a, an ISO heavy ball, and it's like they go completely away from the offense that they run for the rest of the game. And I understand Irving's one of the best ISO players in the league, but. I'm never a fan of that sort of basketball down the stretch, and that's going to be the big yeah. question for the Raptors. Do they revert back to their old ISO style, which we've seen fail time and time again for them in the playoffs, or do they continue this sort of team basketball, moving the ball around style that they've got, they've gone with that's helped them to get this good record in the regular season? Look, and we got it. Who doesn't get enough credit is Demar Derozan. He's changed his game, right? He's he's up to shooting thirty three percent from three, right? He's that's. He's still below league average, but when a guy who God you know, can get lives to the rim like that, like that, and he who's again he's destroyed Milwaukee, and you just think he's they guard him perfectly, and he just drills right. The he just lives on the hard shot express, right? He just hard shot after hard shot after hard shot goes in. We after a while, I've I was to think he's just so freaking lucky, but that's not luck. It's not like he's ridiculously skilled when he's got people in his face. So I think he doesn't get enough credit. The worry is that Kyle Lowry is not the same. Kyle Lowry is not – he's not returned to, you know, peak Kyle Lowry. He looks a bit slower. His three-point shooting is down. His overall true shooting percentage is way down. He's only, what is it, 17 points a game or something like that. So he's he's not the same Kyle Lowry. So is he saving it up for the playoffs? I guess that's possible. But he just doesn't look – he doesn't look like bag of donuts Lowry that we saw in the playoffs, but he just doesn't look the explosive sort of same Kyle 
you know, we're, we're used to. Oh, I think so. his numbers are going down partly because of the style changes in the it team has. as well. Um, yeah. And he has played better recently. Uh, so, and, and I, my hope, I guess the hope for the Raptors, like you've said, is that he's saving a little bit and, and there is another gear that he can get to um, come playoff time. But, uh, and I mean, the other thing I'd say about the Cavs, you look at the Cavs and you think, okay, LeBron's clearly their best player. But then you look at the their second best player is Kevin Love. How's he he going to come back? We assume he comes back fully healthy, but he hasn't played great this year anyway. And then you see, who's their third best player? Mm, but there's a good question about notice for Jordan you. Clarkson. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not kidding. I don't think it's Jordan Clarkson. I would say no. <laughs> Yeah, so I want to say Rodney Hood, but it's like Hood is so um, so inconsistent that we've spoken about. I mean, it's it's George Hill if he stays healthy, but again, that's that's a big if. Um, I mean, it may need to be Clarkson as they go on. I'm not sure, like, and that that's the problem I see for them. It's just a lot of players that are there, and I just I, we haven't well, seen them in big moments either in big games. I'm gonna- Channeling my inner Kevin O'Connor, he is shooting 57% from three-point land since he's joined Cleveland. So, therefore, he's the third best player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, so that's what I said. I go, um, my emotion and my my emotion, which is instinct, which will always be tied to my money, is, is my money would still literally be don't bet against LeBron now that he's having fun and we think he could have fun again. And if you bank on, you know, Hill and Hood have to stay healthy. If Hill and Hood get hurt, they're done. So my money would go right off the table. I'd get a cash out quickly if something happens to Hill or Hood. Um, they literally, they're, they're, they're on knife's edge with them. And there's, right, what I love, love, love about Toronto, and I will vote Dwayne Casey for top two, top three coach of the year, how they've changed their game and how they've changed their style, how he's developed his bench. Their bench is amazing. Hell, their fucking 9, 10, 11 guys have been fantastic. Is it as important in the playoffs, right, when you have going to have Giannis and, and Chris Middleton and, and Bledsoe playing 42 minutes a night, you know, coming at you? Do, do you really want Siakam and, and Peto and, and FVV, you know, out there? I don't know. I don't know. So that I think that's going to be the most fascinating way too early playoff interesting story is how is Dwayne Casey going to handle his bench, the thing that's been their magic touch this year? How is he going to do that? Does he have the guts to keep playing, you know, DeRozan and Lowry and and, um, Ibaka only 35 minutes a night? Does he have the guts to do it, to rely on his bench? Or is he going to shrink that bench and fuck with the dynamic? I'm already interested to see how he's going to coach in the playoffs. So they're the greatest wild card. I'm with you. I've kind of come around, and it's again a bit recency, and I don't put too much stock in the fact that everyone's been a bit tired. So Golden State lost a bunch of games, and Boston's lost a bunch of games. I don't put a ton of stock in that, but if I start to analyze a situation like this, I kind of go, Boston for me is like the odd man out. They could well end up in the NBA Finals, but it sort of feels like it's Cleveland or Toronto at the moment. Um, yeah, Boston kind of remind me very much of the yeah. 2011 Spurs. The 2011 Spurs were the one seed in the West, but they just 
they didn't really have a star. I mean, that was Ginobili's probably best season, but it was just a bunch of role players, you know, the guys like Gary Neal and Danny Groom was coming up through the system at that point. And just guys that hadn't been there before and you think, oh, I'm not sure if I trust this guy just yet in a big moment. And, of course, Memphis came and knocked him out in the first round. So I'm not sure that that fate will await uh, Boston to be knocked out in the first round, but it wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. shock me either to see them str- at least very least struggle in the first round. And, I, and I'd be very surprised if they came out and uh, yeah. were able to beat Cleveland. And we, we also don't just can't overlook matchups as well, I guess. It just depends on seeding. So I think, for example, where the Bucks land, if the Bucks were end up playing, let's say, Boston in the first round, if the Bucks fell to seven, for example, and they did a 7-2 sort of thing, I go, that's a terrible matchup for Boston, right? Who the fuck is going to defend Giannis, right? But if the Bucks def- uh, end up playing Toronto somehow in the first round and they fell to eight, now that's suddenly something where forget it. Like they just, as well as they played in last offseason, they have been destroyed by Toronto this year. The way that they can run Big V and Ibaka and stuff at Giannis I just think that's a horrible matchup. So, you know, those first-round matchups, right, I mean, mean so much. Um, I just love the way Bledsoe, for example, could, again, he's not in the same category, don't mistake me here, but over seven games, he would, he would make Kyle, Low, Kyle Lowry, he would make Kyrie run and run and run and run, right? Eric Bledsoe is a freak. I'm so pleased I've been able to watch him play. Like that guy, you put him against a Kyrie, and I go, my money's on the Bucks. He's just gonna, he's gonna hound him and hound him and play mother-in-law defense for 40 minutes a game and not be, you know, not be uh, shaken by, you know, Kyrie's inevitable, you know, greatness at times. So anyway, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but a lot, a lot goes on the matchups. So not knowing the matchups, I'm still going Ladbrokes with Cleveland because I never bet against LeBron. But my brain says Toronto should theoretically, they destroy so many teams. They're playing, they just don't play, they don't have low IQ games. They just don't anymore. And I'm just so shocked that Casey's had his 180 this year. That um, And I kind of a little bit my, you know, I sort of looked at them in the offseason and said, shit, this team's got a lot of upside and they're realizing it, so... Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a cop out I know Daz that's a cop out but that's that's where I'm at no well I'll go I'm the same until I see someone from the East beat LeBron I'll, I won't believe it so but uh, all things being equal I, I like the Raptors but I think history says LeBron's obviously going to be very tough to beat just I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be firming um, Boston in for that two seed either. They got one of the toughest schedules, remaining schedules in the NBA, and the way they were playing before the break, if they come out and continue to play that way, I think Washington and, and Cleveland, even though they're sort of four games back, uh, I could see them making a run at uh, Boston uh, towards the end of the yeah, season. The, the Cavs are only three games back in the loss column. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, so Boston's played fifty nine games. Cleveland's only played fifty six. So there's a it's not that big of a gap, really. You're right. No, that's right. So, all right, next question, Bert Nose. We're going to go to the Tankathon now, Daz. And uh, this is not really about Nose because it was someone I threw out to you earlier this week. Now, you know what my answer is to this question. Uh, now, the, the reason I came up with it is there are seven teams, oh, sorry, eight teams with 20, 18 to 20 wins. Okay, now I'll read you the teams out. That's Phoenix who just quietly are now the worst team in the NBA. So at least one of my predictions might come off for this season. Atlanta, 
Dallas, Orlando, Sacramento, Memphis, Brooklyn, and Chicago. Now, Brooklyn have quietly lost seven in a row, uh, so that's that's good news for Cleveland Cavalier fans. Which of these teams, and I mean, the team that you gave me was actually outside of that eight, so that's why I didn't didn't have them, and you, you sort of said the Lakers are probably the, the team best place to make a run and, and be a contender out of this group. But I'm looking at particularly that eight teams that are really going to be fighting out for the one seed uh, because obviously the Lakers aren't interested in losing. Their, they don't own their pick next year. Brooklyn aren't either, but they're just losing because they're not very good at the moment. Which of those teams do you think, if I said one of those teams within the next five years is going to be a contender again, which of those teams do you think is best placed to be a contender uh, within the next few years um, of the NBA? That's a great question. Um, are we including the Knicks? So, cause I, We're not including seven... the Knicks. I mean, I think no, the okay. Knicks, They're... because obviously yeah. we're presenting us, and they're a little bit out of that. They've got 23 wins, and, and I think we saw this year where they're sort of placed. Yeah, so between the Suns, the Atlanta Hawks, the Mavs, the Magic, the Kings, the Grizz, and Brooklyn. Who and Chicago. Had, and Chicago, right. So I guess you look, what are the factors, right? You look at um, you look at front office stability and belief in the front office. You look at draft history. You look at their current, obviously the current roster, current assets. You look at their number of bad contracts and their cap situation. And do they have any, do they have a superstar? Do we have someone who thinks it's going to be is a superstar on their team? I guess are the major factors, right? So with those sort of criteria, I'm eliminating Phoenix way too unstable. They have, I think they're, we're showing way too many, um, too many question marks with, with Bender, with Chris, um, with, with their, these lottery picks, not really showing us much yet. So I'm going to end the you know their famous um, just their organizational dysfunction. So I'm writing off Phoenix. Um, Atlanta just doesn't have any talent. They got Schroeder and a whole bunch of not so much. So I think Atlanta's just the farthest away. So Phoenix even has more talent between T.J. Warren and and Devin Booker and could even argue now a little bit with Alfred Payton. They've got they've got something there in terms Booker, of talent. I'd argue Phoenix are maybe two or three best. Uh, this eight yeah, times. yeah, because I th- I think Bender still has potential, uh, but hasn't shown it. So, but I'm still writing off. There's way too many question marks with coaching front office. Oh, I agree. And, I'd I'd be writing right? him off. But in terms yeah. of just sheer talent, I, I think they're yeah, one of the right. better teams out of this group. Atlanta, nope. Just don't show me. They don't have anything on the roster, and I don't think you can get much for Schroeder. And you know, Collins is nice, but they don't. They just don't have any. Thinks so they're starting from scratch, but they seem to have a pretty stable. You know, front office now. And, well, they're they're um, paying the penalty for being as consistent as they're being, and sort of being in that four five seed and making the playoffs, yep. and just never having a really good draft pick. So now you're seeing the back end of that. Yeah. Um, and and we criticised them for getting nothing for the likes of Millsap and yep. and Corver etc. over the years, but but that's I guess the reasoning behind why they've got no talent yeah. on the roster. It's definitely not Dallas. They're on the the Dirk you know farewell tour. He's probably going to play next year and collect it on their giant paycheck, like like Kobe. Um, Harrison Barnes isn't worth the money. He's a nice player, but he's not worth it. Mm. Um, and they don't have. I like Dennis Smith. He's a nice player, but he's not a franchise cornerstone. He's a nice. He'd be a great like Bledsoe type player. He'd be a good third option, right? 
a guy you like on your team, but you don't build a franchise around him. He's also shooting 35%. So definitely not Dallas. Part of me, believe it or not, I'll come back to them. It might be Orlando, believe it or not. I know that as horrible as that sounds, but I I kind of like Weltman. And obviously I saw John Hammond for a number of years when he, you know, when he had a bit of the, some freedom to do what he wanted was a pretty good, a pretty good scout and a pretty good talent evaluator. So I kind of trust what he's doing and he's, I kind of like the decisiveness. They definitely didn't sell high in Alfred Prayton, but you know, I like the decisiveness. I like that it says, you know what, you're gone. You're not part of our future, so we're going to get you for, we're going to get you out of here. Open up the door, and, uh, and we'll tank and get a pick. I kind of like Aaron Gordon. Um, that's about it. Uh, well, I like years. the fact that there hasn't been rumblings about we're going to sack Frank Vogel and things like that. Like, no, like that's that, we know he that's can right. coach, so stick with him. Uh, it, and. That's a great point. I just to interrupt and just to amplify your point. John Hammond is such a good man. Literally, he's you wouldn't find a more quality human, which very few people would know because I obviously I followed them intimately in Milwaukee. But how many people could follow and continue to be a GM the way he did when the owners of the Bucks brought in Jason Kidd without his knowledge, and yet Hammond kept his mouth shut and did his job for the three years together. And so I go, if he can handle that situation, he can handle this with Vogel, right? Eyes, um, hands, hands behind his back. So I kind of like Fournier. I don't know if I buy the Hazonia Ascension. Maybe we're seeing something from him. Um, and well, and Isaac's a lot of people. I haven't really seen Isaac's Isaac. at all, but a, a lot of people that I respect their opinions are really high on this guy. So I think he's another player to watch in that now, lineup. Look, yeah, they got look. They got a couple bad deals, right? They got Biombo, and they've got the, um, you know, um, Vucevic contract isn't isn't great. So um, they're not bad. Sacramento, no, just no. They're next, <laughs> no. Buddy Heald is a you know seventh man, no. Memphis, no. They've held on to Mark and and Conley too long. They well, I'll say this Tyree. quickly about Memphis. I think Memphis could be the first of this group back to the playoffs. But I don't think I don't see them. You said contending, contender. though, right? Yeah, so, they're not right. a contender, so I but I think they could so, be the first this group to jump back into the playoffs. That's they almost certainly. If Gasol and Conley are healthy and they just got some good coaching, you're, you're probably right. they could be as eight seed next year. So I was hearing contention. My little my criteria was: could they get a four seed? Is who's the next team is going to be a yeah, four seed? And I right? think you're 100 like right there. Yeah, and then Brooklyn too far away. Um, they got some nice pieces. I like what they're doing, but again, I think they're on. They're just that first round pick. War chest has been so empty for so long. Uh, they got back into the first round this year with that um, with the Damari Caro trade. So they got one at the end of the end of the first. But nope, they don't have any stars on their roster, and they're too far away. And then if you if you lump in Chicago, believe it or not, as horrible as the Jimmy Butler trade was. Um, you sort of have to look at Chicago, right? As you go, um, Dunn looks like an NBA player. That's something. You know, he doesn't look like an all-star, but he's a player. Zach Levine looks back. So, got if Zach Levine can become a 25-point-a-game kind of dynamic scorer and guy in the wing, um, they've gotten themselves a couple of juicy picks here. They've got their pick, obviously, here in the top of the lottery, and they've gotten – New Orleans pick, which will be, oh, I don't know, somewhere between, you know, 14 and 18 well, probably. 16 at the moment. And then they could easily fall out of the playoffs too, New Orleans. 
everyone's good. So that could be, you know, two lottery picks could be, could be super juicy. Um, and Laurie Markkinen's a nice player. He's slowed down, hasn't he, from a very hot start. But um, Well, part of that is he, opportunity too because Miritich came back and Bobby Portis has been playing well. So I think... Sure, sure. I, I don't know if yeah. his play slowed down, but his opportunity yeah. certainly has. Yeah, it looks like... I, so, believe it or not, I just can't believe it. It's, a, it's sort of like... Chicago and Orlando are like my top two, and I guess we just say who are the closest to contention. If the question has become, I think Chicago probably has more assets, and obviously a much cleaner, much, much, much cleaner cap sheet, right? So they could actually sign some free agents in a free agent destination, but do I believe in Gar Packs? <laughs> or do I do Weltman and Hammond um, in Orlando, um, who's got the probably the highest upside player on the two teams with, with Aaron Gordon? But... Um, don't have the cap flexibility. Um, I'm going to go Chicago by a nose, but Chicago Orlando would be my two. Yeah, I was I was with Chicago as you know. So uh, the thing about Chicago is, I Chris Dunn has got elite speed and elite uh, athletic ability. Right, he's he is a real athlete, and I never saw that when he was in Minnesota. Maybe because of the style of play that they they uh, implement there under Tibbs. But I couldn't. Oh, he, this guy can jump out of the gym, and he's quick. Like he, he looked like John Wall a few times. I saw him. I don't think he's got that sort of upside. But I think he's, as you say, he's clearly an NBA player. I think he's the top of his range. He's a really quality starter, and I think he might bottom out as a as a nice backup. So that's a, that's a reasonable player to play. I love what I've seen from Zach Levine since he's come back, and I think I'm really high on marketing does. Uh, I think he can be an all-star level player in this league uh, once because he's only young. Like this is the thing. Like mm. Dunn's still Dunn's now twenty-three. Obviously, Levine's. I think Levine's also twenty-three, twenty-four. So they're a little bit older. So you're not going to get as much development out of them. This kid's got a lot of development in him, and he's already really tough down low. He's got some range on his shots. He's got a little bit of playmaking ability as well that we've seen in, in flashes. So I really I think there's a there's some building blocks there. I just don't see as many building blocks in Orlando as what I see there. And as as you said, they've got a clean cap sheet now. Whether they're going to be able to sign any free agents with that, I'm not sure. But I could see them if they get a good draft pick this year. Uh, I could see them within the next couple of years making a push to the playoffs, and then with this young core elevating on that, assuming they can make further moves from there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not nearly as high on Dunn. I think he's a nice player. You're right. He's got some NBA. He's got some NBA. He's an NBA body and some NBA skills, and um, we definitely saw that in college, right? So he was a he was a number five pick, and no one thought that was a stretch, right? A number five pick, right? So he was very, very highly scouted. Um, so I'm probably lower on Dunn, but you're right about marketing. and he's got a little badass in him as well. He's got a bit of fire, you know. He he kind of goes after players, and he's got some aggression to him. Unlike, I guess Zinger has it in sort of in spurts. And he only got it. Well, he looks he more grown into his body already than what Zinger does as well. He does. He, he well, he's also you know he's three inches shorter. And seven, yeah, yeah. It's not easy to be seven three, and it's a that's quite a you know we're, maybe we're splitting hairs there. But <laughs> Markkinen looks more like he he plays like a six eight guy, doesn't he? Mm. Right. Whereas uh, Porzingis plays like a really skilled seven foot three guy. He, he, he's a giant. 
But I just like the bit, sort of badass about Markkinen. So, yeah, look, now that more we talk about it, I think Chicago probably is a head above because of the clean cap sheet. But, man, don't – they still sold too low on Jimmy Butler. That's still you – just, you just can't – you can't know the counterfactual, but fuck me dead to only get – Well, that's the point that Zach Lowman, you, you said you're trying to, to get a high draft pick to get a superstar, but you've already got a superstar. So, you know, you're sort of trading one for the other. Without getting. So I'd, I'd like to say, I guess, what other moves could they have made while keeping Jimmy Butler on the roster uh, and still retooling yeah. this on the run? That, that's obviously yeah. the question. But look, they're, they're still looking okay. Uh, I think the pick swap in, in that was particularly egregious and I think they could have certainly got more back but That's given yeah. given where we thought this franchise had been and, and, and Hoiberg's shown some good signs from a coaching point of view he may very well be a coach of the future there as well so um, so from that point of view I think they're, they're looking much yeah, better than what might. we probably expected them to um, when we came into the season so have you next question about now is have you given any thought to the Bucks? Uh, head coaching position and who who you might like to see there next year and then outside of Milwaukee I mean where do you think the most attractive head coaching job will be next year well it's hard maybe it's a bit biased right but it's hard not to say if you've got if you've got Giannis you know first team all NBA player who's 23 years old and as humble as apple pie you know kind of his folksy style it's hard to see that as a, you know, as an enormous, enormous uh, allure. Also, opening a brand new arena and billionaire owners who've done, other than botching the, you know, the hiring processes here, you know, with their with their heads of basketball operations, um, have been completely professionalized the team and invested throngs of money. Um, great new facility. So it's a very, very attractive job for sure. It's an attractive um, job from the point of view that there's, there's going to be pressure straight away in that job. So you, oh, sure. the expectations are going to really be you're going to be a contender in year one. I mean, they want the next coach to be Steve Kerr at the Warriors. Now, I don't think they're necessarily expecting that level of success, but they expect, you know, Eastern Conference Finals or thereabouts within a couple of years, you'd think. Oh, it's it's a good, it's, as I said, the good to great coach. It's the, you've got this these raw ingredients, you just you need you need more from them. Um, their, their challenge, right, is they got some massive, they're, way, they're up against the cap, and they got some major, major decisions with, um, especially with Jabari in the off season. So that's going to be a very attractive job. Look, it's hard to forecast what other jobs. Look, it's probably the Phoenix job is going to be open. Is that going to be attractive to the same types of coaches to Milwaukee? Absolutely not. They're no doubt going to want a, you know, younger type sort of coach who can you know, basically be fired in three years, not earn a ton of money, but focus on player development, um, player development, player development, player development, maybe instilling a bit of a system and a culture. They might get lucky with a Quinn Snyder type hire or a Brad Stevens, but... Well, I'll make a prediction now. I think Becky Hammond goes to Phoenix next year. Mm. That's a tough first coaching job, but she'd be silly to pass it up, wouldn't she? So, um, I don't look, I don't know. I just... It's embarrassing, but I don't know her much beyond the fact I know she played very well in WNBA uh, and obviously she's an assistant in the Spurs and she's a girl. 
So I don't I don't know anything. I'd I'd love to be able to analyze her. I don't know anything about any assistant coach, to be honest, right? Like, what do we actually know about assistant coaches unless they're the coaches of the the team we follow? So I, I appreciate you probably know Heyman probably the way I know Joe Prunty and Sean Sweeney, right? Yeah. Prunty obviously filling in. So Phoenix will have an open job. So your question about who's going to be the most attractive, um, will Doc Rivers step down now that he doesn't have any power? That's an interesting question. Will, will Alvin Gentry take the fall if New Orleans, even though Boogie's gone, will he sort of fall back? I think he's actually done a pretty good coaching job this year. Is Luke Walton, is his seat warm? Uh, you know, um, is Vlade going to get impatient? Um, is Jeff Hornacek going to try to choke another player? Well, I think <laughs> no. New York's a, a watch, and Memphis is already, obviously, they, they're going to be on the lookout for a coach as well. So Memphis, I go, honestly, mate, the, the, really, you, you tell me differently. Is, are those more attractive than Milwaukee? I highly doubt it. I think it depends yeah. on the coach. I mean, but I think Milwaukee are going to be looking for an established coach. So I, I'd be surprised if Milwaukee yeah. went for some assistant, unless it is Joe Pronti himself, went for some assistant that, that doesn't have head coaching experience already. I think the in some ways, the Phoenix job is more attractive depending on where you are in your career because you don't want to take the, you know, theoretically, you could take the Milwaukee job and be sacked within six months. Like, that that's the level of pressure that you're going to see within this franchise. Well, maybe, but, you know, you're also going to be signing a minimum three-year deal, four-year deal likely because they're going to be looking for a, probably, like you said, a talented coach. So I, I, just, I, I guess that's possible, but... Um, but most of the good coaches, the pressure, you kind of want the pressure, right? You don't want to coach a team with no talent like Phoenix and try to, you know, make them a 50-win team. So I guess it just depends on who the coach is. So the obvious candidates, though, right, are Fizdale is going to be, you know, Fizz is going to be in the mix. You know, his his departure was sounds like it was a lot of personal stuff in Memphis, Um Probably by many measures, he's a good coach. So he's an obvious candidate. Look, Monty Williams' name keeps coming up. He's a uh, – isn't Monty now in the front office of San Antonio? Well, San Antonio, so when his really? wife died, San Antonio just said, "You've you, we've got you a job, um, just turn up when you feel like it and um, you know, basically just put him on the payroll. So he's he's got some sort of front office title, and he is now back, yeah, obviously yeah, full right. time, back on his feet. So, but he's his stock's gone up a lot since he left New Orleans because a lot of people thought, well, this team's just not getting over the hump because of Monty Williams. Now, Alvin Gentry's got a really nice reputation. Everyone knows Alvin Gentry can coach. Hasn't really worked out for him at New Orleans, but he can coach. Well, they've been no better with Alvin Gentry there. So I think most people look at it and say, at worst, he's no better than Alvin Gentry. He might even be a bit better than what Gentry was, given what he was able to achieve with that team. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So I think people, Monty Williams certainly has a very good reputation. He's a great guy, but uh, uh, his reputation as a coach has sort of gone up since he left New Orleans, um, the fact yeah. that he was able to get them to the playoffs. And look, keeping with the San Antonio theme, obviously Messina's name keeps coming up, and whether he has a succession plan in place um, or not is to be seen. I don't think you tell me differently. I don't think Pop, if Pop, let's say, wants to stick around for two more years, he's not going to stop Messina from taking a head coaching job. I can't, I'd be shocked if Pop did that, right, um, and to throw a bunch of money at him. So the, the obviously the European connection and him and Giannis, I think, would be a potentially fantastic fit. Um 
And then I guess the other ones are, I guess, a little bit more out there. You just always hear, right, Jeff Van Gundy's name is, you know, he's been now off the off the sidelines for 10 years he's now. He's been away he too long. That's a, oh, that would be a terrible hire if you ask me. It'd be, a, it'd be a risky hire. I mean, it's a big name hire. His brother coached at Wisconsin, Stan Van Gundy. If he knew this, he coached the Badgers um, for a couple seasons. So there's a bit of an, you know, a familiarity anyway. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I liked – I I love Gundy in the booth. I love his analysis. I think he's a you know, bit of a Yoda of the game. And it's hard to, you know, he coached a, a star-studded team in Houston. So, but the question is, can he stay relevant? And that's a, that'd be a, is he up, right? Is he up for the sort of, for the work? Um, the other local one, which not a lot of people talk about, and I, is uh, Tony Bennett. So, um, sorry, what's his name? Yeah, Tony Bennett. So Tony Bennett's a head coach at Virginia College, which is one of the top five teams in the country. That's where Malcolm Brogdon went to school, but Tony Bennett, the son of the famous Dick Bennett, who coached the Badgers for a long time. So they're, oh, they're a Wisconsin yes. family, and they've been around the Wisconsin, and their their coaching tree in Wisconsin is enormous. So between uh, Bo Ryan and Dick Bennett, these guys in their kind of early 70s now, their coaching tree around basketball in Wisconsin is is, is enormous. So he's he'd be in the mold of a Quinn Snyder, Brad Stevens, so Tony Bennett has um, – he was also a player, by the way. Um, he has developed the Virginia Cavaliers into the single greatest defensive team in the league. And so that's what Brogdon came into the – you know, his pedigree, well-known to the Bucks that way. So that's the other sort of under-the-radar candidate would be someone like a, a college coach. He's been there I don't know, a number of years, so coaching is not a new thing for him. And he's a system guy. He will come in, implement a system, and – and, and, and go with it. So, yeah, I it's think uh, college coaches are back in vogue now after many years, well, many failures, quite frankly. But with Brad Stevens and Quinn Snyder um, doing quite well since coming into the NBA, I think they're back in vogue now and people are looking again at uh, college coaches. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's um, it's an enormous enormous decision, and I I don't know I. I wouldn't be exaggerating to say perhaps the single most important decision that will factor into Giannis's um, where his career heads, right? It's an enormous, and I mean literally if it's where his career heads, if it stays in Milwaukee or not. If this is a, 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 a coach that doesn't work with Giannis and doesn't get the most out of this team, it, it could frustrate him over the next the last three years of his contract. So it's an, an enormous decision that this young John Horst GM's got to make. And, oh, by the way, he has to make a decision about Jabari Parker as well this offseason. So massive franchise-altering decisions to make this summer for the Bucks. So we'll see. All right, next question about now is we're moving away a little bit from the NBA, but the, you, I've sent you a uh, trailer for a new movie coming in June this year, The Uncle Drew movie with Kyrie Irving and Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Webber, Reggie Miller, among others in it. But my question about those days, what is your favorite basketball movie of all time? Oh, White Men Can't Jump. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, 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 was a, I was a basketball rat, so I've you know, sort of fancied myself the Woody Harrelson character, right? Um, was the guy who could shoot from anywhere, had a mouth... Right, had a mouth and uh, didn't didn't back down from anyone in the you know playing pickup games in 
in Milwaukee and Chicago where I was the definitely the the dorkiest, whitest farm kid who'd who'd played ball on some of these courts. So absolutely white men can't jump um without without hesitation with you know, a tip of the hat of course to you know to the pulling at the heartstrings of Hoosiers back in the day, but um definitely white men can't jump. What about you? Oh uh, mine would be blue chips. I remember seeing blue chips back in the oh. the early nineties, and uh, a heap of friends of ours went to see it, and they said most of them didn't like it. And um, another mutual friend of ours had told me, "No, he said you like basketball, you like this movie," and uh, we I ended up watching it months later. I didn't see it at the cinemas, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I've watched it many, many times since. And um, there's actually an Australian connection because the the white guy, the white farm boy. In that ended up coming out to Australia and playing the NBL, uh, and he, I think he blown out his knee uh, a couple of times. <laughs> he was terrible, <laughs> but it was a big publicity stunt. Uh, they brought Matt Nova, his name was, um, out from uh, Blue Chips. So Blue Chips was my favourite. But I, I was also I loved White Men Can't Jump as well. It's just the Rosie Perez character grates on my nerves a little bit too much to watch it over and over again. Yeah. That, that voice. It's just something, something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she looks fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but my God, that voice. It's just, it's like... Um, fingernails on fingernails the chalkboard. Fingernails on the chalkboard. <laughs> for me. Yeah. So, um, but look, so Uncle Drew, we're, we're looking forward to that too, Dad. I can't on. wait. It looks so ridiculous. How can you not enjoy... It? Take it for what it is, right? Just pure ridiculousness. And, you know, who doesn't love a grumpy shack? Right, big giant uh, gray haired grumpy shack is funny. Come on, it's funny. So it's uh, I love I love the idea. I just fucking love the idea. Yeah. So last question without nose does for the for this pod. What are you yeah. looking forward to for the rest of the regular season? Like what what are you looking out for? Obviously we'll be following Tankathon very close. It's it's probably the it's gonna be more interesting the Tankathon race than anything else, I think, as as the season goes on. But what are you mainly looking for um, or looking forward to with the rest of this regular season? Huge storylines, right? This is going to be fascinating. Um, so obviously Tankathon, we will um, – your NBA League Pass is going to be challenged now. There's going to be eight to ten teams playing sickening basketball for the rest of the, for the, rest of the season. And I, I can't remember a time when you'd have this many. You think three or four teams fighting for it? Sure, but seven, eight. And the Knicks, you know, they're number nine. You know, again, they're only, you know, they're five games back, so it's very they've unlikely. They've lost eight straight. They've lost eight straight. And as you know, there's nothing in, you know, no, you know, no positive things in sight for them. So it's going to be a we're awful, awful basketball. Um, so we'll watch that storyline of just how god-awful is it, and we'll start ramping up our, um, I guess, the, all the hyperbole and speculation around which college guys are, what the what the draft is looking like, and you know, load up your Luka Doncic, you know, Luka Doncic videos. Here we go. That's definitely uh, that's one. Um, then the stuff we were talking about. Obviously, Cleveland can't help be in the spotlight. They played two two games with the kids. How does that go? Do they gel? Do they swoon? Does Rodney Hood and George Hill stay in the rotation? You know, playing thirty minutes a night. Do they get hurt? And if they get hurt. You know, does that does that kind of put the wheels off the wagon? So, and everything that whole story and how it leads to you know LeBron staying or not staying in Cleveland is a big one. 
And then the injuries, right? How is John Wall going to get reintegrated into Washington? How will Kevin Love get reintegrated into Cleveland? How will Paul Millsap, right, get reintegrated into a suddenly quite interesting um, Denver Nuggets team? Which segues for me is that that race for the the one, two, three, four, basically five teams for four spots. Sorry, six teams for the last sort of four spots in the West. So you basically got Utah, Clippers, Pelicans, Blazers, Nuggets, and Thunder all within two games of each other. So um, that race will be fascinating, far more interesting than the race in the East, which is pretty much sewn up, to be honest. I don't know if there's a – I guess Detroit could make a big run and the Heat could continue to fall or the Sixers could do something silly. But I think the East might be done. The eight teams might be already decided unless something really crazy happens and the Pistons get on yeah, a real Yeah, Detroit tear. had their chance. They lost a few bad games just heading into the All-Star break. They should have been on a really good run, and they lost to Atlanta. They lost to New Orleans at home and just lost that Yeah. Momentum. Look, we can't underestimate the, the Miami Heat's challenges with scoring, so I leave open the opportunity they could fall out. Um, again, they're only one and a half games up on Detroit, who's in the ninth seed, but the West race is going to be interesting, right? Denver's got a bit of moxie going. Really nice winning streak coming into the break, um, starting to find themselves. There's no slowing down Dame and CJ in Portland. The Pelicans probably look like the most likely, right, just with the horrible injury. I love Miritich on that team. Um, part of me even says I love him more than Boogie next to, next to AD. But they just have, you know, they got sticky tape holding that team together. The OKC Thunder are vulnerable, right? They just... It's joyless. They're all going to work. You got the Jazz, who've won 11 in a row, and the Clippers, who you know are, are feisty. So that's going to be a great race in the West. So that's, I guess, the big storylines. And then I guess the continued one is the. I'm probably less interested in the Rookie of the Year. I think it's Mitchell and Simmons, and we'll see how that that kind of plays out. But it's, yeah, I guess I still also find a lot of fun in the. If I'm not watching quality basketball, but let's see. Can Kuzma keep it up? How does Dennis Smith evolve? Um, can De'Aaron Fox bring it on? Can Josh Jackson, you know, put a string of six or seven really good games together? This is enough fun, young, young talent. I think we talked about for almost for the entire first month of the season, didn't we? All through November was like, wow, this entire season might be the 15 awesome rookies who are making an impact. So there's still a lot of fun rookies out there doing a lot of cool stuff. So I'll. I'll I'll look for that, and then I'll also look for um, what next. What's the next zit that needs to get popped in New York? <laughs> it just sort of feel <laughs> it just doesn't it feel like it's still going to get worse before it gets better. Like like I know Zinger going down is the the he could not think of a obviously a devastating sort of injury like that. It still feels like it's going to get worse. You know, it now came out to the, the, today that the, the altercation between Hornacek and, and Joakim Noah was physical. They got shouting at each other after the Golden State game when Noah only played five minutes, and Hornacek screamed at him and shoved him in the chest, and Noah, Noah basically threatened to take his head off, and that's wasn't it's just going to get worse, isn't it? Mm. So I, I kind of like I'm, I'm a bit sick. I, I don't mind a bit of a train wreck. You know, we got 30 <laughs> teams going. I love a good train wreck, don't we? So. Yeah, lots happening, Lot, lots of storylines. Yeah, well, look, I was just looking ahead to the the, uh, the schedule as well. So once we get past the All-Star game, we're back on Friday, uh, that Friday Australian time, as the Cavs-Wizards 
is one of the games. Uh, Warriors-Clippers could be interesting too, I guess. Uh, and then we've got the Raptors uh, against the Bucks, which could be an interesting one uh, in a possible yeah. playoff preview. Jazz Trailblazers, Nuggets Spurs. So a couple of good games in prospect on Saturday. Uh, and I guess keep an eye, the, the, one of the big things for the remainder of the season is going to be strength of schedule. So because of the amount, the sheer amount of teams that are trying to tank Daz, you look at the teams that have got an easy schedule coming up and there's three real standout teams in terms of the strength of schedule at the moment. That's Golden State, Utah and Philadelphia. So Utah are actually projected to get all the way up to the sixth seed and they could even rise higher than that. So this is not just an anomaly, this little run they're having on an easy schedule like what Cleveland did. I mean, they've beaten San Antonio twice, they've beaten Toronto in, in Toronto, they've beaten Golden State in that run. So that, that was a run against mostly good opposition uh, and, and they're going to be much more... I think they got 15 in their last 25 at home as well. So they have got a very easy schedule. New Orleans are one of the teams too, chasing a playoff spot. They've got a reasonably easy schedule as well. And then you go down to the other end of Milwaukee, you've actually got one of the toughest schedules in the league, as do Detroit. So that's why another reason why Detroit probably won't be able to sneak their heads above water and get into that playoff race. But I think the strength of schedule is going to be more important this year than it's ever been. That's um, a really good point. Yeah. yeah, and I think Golden State, on the basis of that, I know they didn't. They, they came into the uh, all-star break, not on, playing great basketball by their standards, but I think they'll they'll still skate into that number one spot, despite the fact that Houston are there at the moment. But uh, last quick one, I, and this is one I just saw, is, is this Mike D'Antoni's best chance at a title? Hmm. Um, is it his best chance at a title? I'm actually going to say no, believe it or not. I, I think, I think when the lights come on, I don't know if anyone's going to win a single game against Golden State in the playoffs until they meet Houston. And I just don't. I love how Houston plays, and I think they got some firepower, and I think they can play defense. But again, I just um, right. This is Golden State's got one of the greatest teams we've ever seen, perhaps. And I also that's part that's 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 reason part one reason part two is that there's a call it ten percent chance there's a ten percent chance LeBron goes to Houston next year, right? So that's why I also say it's it's not I'm going to say it's not his best chance. Um, it's a shame he's got this team like he had you know the Phoenix teams which couldn't get past San Antonio now he's got this amazing team which I just can't can you imagine them winning four games out of seven? Well, it's, I think I think you... Golden State's run last year is a tad overrated from this point of view. I mean, they beat Phoenix of Portland without Nurkic. They beat Utah without Gobert. They beat San Antonio without Kawhi and without Tony Parker. All beat, obviously, not a peak Tony Parker. But <clears throat> So that's their starting point guard goal and their best player. So, yes, they rolled through the Western Conference 12-0, but it was not against good opposition. Uh, no, so I think I think they're a little bit more vulnerable than people think to losing games. I don't think you know I don't think Portland are going to come in and beat them in the series, but I could see Portland taking one or two games off them. I could see Utah taking one or two games off them in the series. I don't think they're going to roll through the same way they did last year. Um, whereas Houston, uh, 
look, I think they, they match up better on some of these teams down lower than what Golden State do, but Golden State probably match up better on Houston. The, the question's going to be just how good is defensively are Houston going to be, and is the slippage real on Golden State's defensive end? And that's the question I think we're going to be answered in the playoffs. Um, well, that's a really good point. So I go, so your question was, is D'Antoni's best chance? And I, I guess... I'm probably saying no only because I think there's a chance LeBron plays there next year. Well, I mean, up to this point in his career, let's say. Oh, oh God. Because for all the love them Phoenix teams no, got, I they see. didn't make the conference finals under there, Tony. Yeah, they probably just weren't deep enough. This team is deeper than his. So the best Phoenix her. team was Gentry's team, which came after um, D'Antoni left. That's it, at least in my opinion. Yeah, well... Yeah, look. I, so um, I'd have to go. I'd have to think harder about, to be honest, the oh, you know, oh five and oh six or the Suns and and what their competition, you know, what the West was like. Um, but um, uh, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought. But in terms of, so, I mean, so in terms of the defense, I mean, is Phoenix defense, defense for real? Oh. And is the Golden State yeah. slippage that we've seen? Because Golden State have not been as good on defense. Draymond Green certainly hasn't been as good on defense. That's where I was going. That's what is I was that thinking. Real? Obviously, I have him on my fantasy team, so I've been watching Draymond extra close this year. And, and look, is it, maybe he's taken the 50 games off, but Draymond isn't, isn't Draymond. Draymond isn't stirring the drink like he's used to stirring it, right? He's, not, he's been the lifeblood, the energy, the, the mouthpiece. The you know the, the 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 thing that drives the engine that when it gets tough he's gonna say fuck it I'm gonna I'm going 100 miles an hour and you guys are gonna follow me and lift lift it up around me and he just you know he doesn't really do it this year we hear a lot more there's just a lot more bitching and the bitching's not coming from him the bitching's from fucking KD KD is the lead of the bitch mm. and so I kind of like the way I do not like the I do not like the trajectory of the 76ers with with Embiid, the whiny, mouthy kind of mouthpiece determining the culture, part of me wonders, is: has Golden State, are they becoming KD's team in the locker room and culturally? And add that to Draymond's on court. He just hasn't performed like he has, right, in years past. He can, and he can turn it on, and he can, you know, basically choke you know, a team's greatest uh, offensive player at times, but he just hasn't. So that for me is the interesting one is if Graymond, Graymond, <laughs> I'm thinking about Shaq and Uncle Drew. If, if Draymond is locked in 100%, you know, I think he if he can do something to neutralize that high pick and roll in Houston, then, then I just don't see a series. But um, Well, I, I don't think they're unbeatable anymore, the Warriors. I, uh, you know, I, I came into the season yeah. just I was refusing mm. to even consider that anyone would beat this time. I'm not there now because I think you look at their bench. Iguodala is just at a different stage in his career. Livingston is at a different stage in his career. Caspi has been terrible. I've seen a few games with him. He has not played well. Nick Young, you're really going to trust Nick Young in a playoff series? Their best bench player has been David West. The the thing is, obviously. Once the David West has been awesome, he's yeah. been unbelievable. But once the what, what, who's going to be the eight guys that they go to the war with? I guess, and is that lineup of death going to be as effective against Houston? Houston's got the, the team that can go up against that lineup of death. 
this is the this is the thing, and not many teams do that do have that lineup. Houston's one of the teams that can go up against that lineup, but they actually match them pretty much player for player. Now there might not be as much quite as much talent on the Houston end, but you know if if Houston's hit, all hitting there, their shots, there's a lot of there's going to be a ton of pressure on Durant to defend, right? Because I go, you know, where's the weaknesses? And when you've got, um, believe it or not, when you've got Capella, you know, rolling to the rim and attacking the rim, and you know, sorry, I'll do respect to. Actually, to no due respect to do Zaza, <laughs> right? There's a lot more pressure on Durant, you know, underneath. Because you're right, because, you know, David West isn't protecting the rim. Um, Caspi, I don't, I haven't like, I'm with you, I haven't liked what I've seen. And Iguodala, oof. Iguodala and Livingston both. And Livingston still is quite efficient, but, man, they're not the same. Uh, tons of pressure on Curry and Durant. Perhaps I think that lineup, of death, that that yeah. sort of lineup we've grown mm. in, and, and West will obviously play some minutes. Maybe West takes some of Iguodala's minutes in that lineup, and we've sort of already started to see that. But at the moment, West is playing really good in the in the role he's been set. But maybe if they up his minutes, he won't be quite as effective either. So I think there's some question marks that have come out of this season for the Warriors and Houston. Well, they're looking exactly like you know the the dream of what they thought this lineup was going to be. Oh, I think yeah. it is is exactly what it has, and and they've added some nice depth with Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright at, in the buyout market, and Golden State haven't added anyone. So I, I can see a way. Not yet, but I'm not sure what what Golden State would even get. I guess we'll wait and see what players become available on the buyout market, but. Uh, the way it's structured at the moment, I think Golden State clearly is still the favourites, but I give Houston maybe a 10% chance, whereas at the start of the season, I would have said, look, it's it's maybe 1%, and that's if injuries come into it, that any team's going to uh, to come up and beat Golden State. But I, I can see a pathway, uh-huh. I guess, for Houston to do it. Yeah, look, I, get, I, even, I probably give even more than 10%, but I go, that's still... Yes, you asked the question, is it their, it's D'Antoni's best shot? And I go, yeah, they... I guess if they played, maybe it's 15 or 20 percent. So it's not crazy more. But I, you know, I haven't liked what I've seen from McCaw. He not, he's not, he's not taking a Dejounte Murray sort of leap, has he? No, They've been playing Kevin. Him, yeah. yeah, Kevin Looney's been playing, you know, 10, 12 minutes a lot of nights, and he's he's not really an NBA player, to be honest. Um, you know, Jordan Bell's okay. Um, so yeah, there's going to be pressure. There's a big time pressure on David West, Nick Young. Zaza, Iggy, Livingston, you're right. I mean, there's to keep up with, again, you just list them. Ryan Anderson, P.J. Tucker, you know, Luke Richard, Mabute, Eric Gordon. I'll take Houston's back, you know, you know, numbers four through eight every day of the week to Golden State's right now. That's right. And so, then it comes down yeah. to their best three against Houston's best three. And, you know, Paul Harden and Capella. Uh, against Durant, Thompson, and, and Curry, and you obviously give Golden State the the advantage there. But is that advantage going to be enough when you come back, you know, to the back end of the roster? Yeah. I guess we're we're looking at Draymond Durham, Green within that as well. But the way he's playing, he's not playing at the level that sort of most people would would have said. Well, he is one of the top three players, definitely in that lineup. Uh, he's shooting, shooting back down low in the three pointers, and he's not playing as good a defense. So. That's going to be the big question. I mean, our Golden State just going through this the motions in a sense in this in this regular season, which I suspect is probably more closely the case. 
and then in the playoffs yeah. they're going to turn it on um, and we're going to see a different level of basketball from them. So, But, look, as it is going to be interesting, I think that, that they're the two teams that we really are salivating over at the moment and, and barring something unforeseen, I think we're going to see them in the Western Conference Finals. And and I guess from Dan Tony's point of view, this is probably the best, the first time you definitively say he's got one of the top two teams in the league. Maybe there were times in in that in that Phoenix run, certainly 07, Phoenix were considered um, one of the top two teams in the league. It's just that they met the Spurs a little bit earlier in do the you, playoffs. Do you do you put any chance? I mean, whether it's Spurs, Wolves, Thunder, do you give them any chance to beat either Houston or? Oh, the Golden Spurs, if, if everyone comes back. But, I mean, you know, the clock's ticking for the Spurs now. You've got 23 games left, and and there's still no sign of Kawhi. There's no sign of Rudy Gay. I mean, I don't even know how much Rudy Gay moves the needle at this point anyway. Um, so Kawhi would have to come back. What do you think? We've, what, 18 games left, 15 games left at the best-case scenario, then be up and about and fully operational for the Spurs to have any shot whatsoever. I just can't see it happening, uh, personally. I, I think, you know what, I think there's more chance the Spurs fall right out of the playoffs than they actually there is that they beat Houston or Golden State. Isn't that crazy? They're, it's amazing. They are three games from being from the number nine and seed. And one right? of the hardest schedules in the league to finish the season, talking about strength of a schedule. Yeah, yeah. So I go, it could an idealised Minnesota Timberwolves give... Anyone fits with no. OKC okay, is the uh, only team I give a puncher's chance to because their defense can be elite. not without Rob. Not without not Robeson. without Robeson. And this this is where yeah. you know had they been able to make a move, um, you know maybe you're seeing something there. But without Robeson, I think they're going to struggle. But I could see them. I guess giving the giving one of those teams some problems. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And if if stylistically, I think if you get into playing OKC's game, well, that's going to mess up Golden State and Houston. And I guess yeah. that's that's the the question: can can you, you know, they, they maintain their style in a series against OKC? But if you said to me, look, one of these teams doesn't get through, who's the most likely to beat them? I think it's probably OKC at this point in time. Just- I honestly, if their season comes down to the fact that Patrick fucking Patterson decided not to play NBA basketball this year, <laughs> didn't we say that it was like universally one of the smartest, shrewdest, best sort of fits under the radar free agent signings in the off season? Based I'll on give what we you a tip. I year? think he's there's something wrong with his health because it was unlike Toronto to let him walk, but yeah. that's not a massageery move, is it? to let a guy no. walk on a, and, and let him sign a really nice contract somewhere else. Um, I think if, if looking Maybe back, that's it. there's something yeah. there because he just does not look even a shadow of the player that he no. was going back to his sort of Houston days and even what he did in Toronto. But, but what a devastating... I mean, between... The talk about important, important role players. Roberson, who can defend the hell out of Curry or KD, literally... And um, uh, and a guy who can stretch the floor like Patterson, right? Just to not have that guy still play. He still played every single game. He's played fifty nine games of that. I was like, what? Something's gone on there. You're right. But uh, oh, their roster falls away so badly after yeah, passless yeah. games. 
uh, which yeah. is such a shame because with Roberson there, that's that's a five that can go the war with anyone, and obviously their bench was is always going to be a problem. But with yeah. Roberson there, they at least had that five man unit. But look, even without Roberson, they gave Golden State another touch up a couple of weeks ago. So they are a team that I think they're going to make life difficult for us. Even Imagine. If sweep them. Yeah. Anyway, just they've been so much better with. Cantor and McDermott, right? Just a bash. Well, they would have been, the and I said that. I said we said that yeah. a few weeks ago. The the mellow trades looks worse and worse by the week. Um, you know, we've we've Cantor out there because their big strength is the offensive rebounding, and they can just pound the offensive glass. And of course, Cantor was a big part of that. And McDermott is theoretically a nice fit with this team, even though. <clears throat> Look, no one would have fit with that team last year the way Russell Westbrook was playing. He's dialed no. back at least a little bit this year. But if you get a guy like McDermott that can make open shots, uh, and that's something that, say, a Terrence Ferguson just has not been able to do. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. Terrence Ferguson sort of basically been a, a poor man's Robeson. He's just scared to shoot. And it's a big ask, you know, to ask a rookie to come in and start and, and play starters minutes uh, with a team that's looking to contend for a title. Yeah. So it was always yeah. going to be big. Us. They have played a little bit better since they bought uh, Houston in. Um, so that, that's, I guess, something to watch. Just how they, and maybe the buyout market, they could be a contender there to bring in someone uh, that could provide some sort of help and, I guess, another wing defender to help Paul George, who is playing a... He's playing out of his mind as well this year, uh, but I'm not sure if it's going to be enough for, to convince him to stay around for another season of um, watching Westbrook dribble the ball yeah. into oblivion uh, next year. But outside that, look, Denver, I think Denver plays too similar a style. They're just going to have some shootouts. Look, I could see Denver maybe taking a game from them at home, same as Portland. I think both of those teams, just the way they play, they need to get into shootouts with teams, and that's, you, you're not, you, you know, sort of. Uh, turning up to a um, a, a gunfight with a knife when you're playing yeah. uh, Houston and Golden State uh, in, in trying to get into the shootout. So that's where the Spurs, I guess, if, if everything's going right stylistically and, and OKC, they can sort of force them to play their style and maybe get, get wins out, eke wins out that way. But it, it does seem pretty inevitable, doesn't it? I, Minnesota, I can't see Minnesota taking a game off either of those two teams. I've just got. I love what Jimmy Butler's doing, but gee, I'm I'm sort of making slowly making my way down Wiggins Island, Wiggins Mountain days. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm abandoning. Just, yeah, just go, just There's run. A blizzard in. Stuff, just run. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, it was it was the the pre it was the day before the trade deadline, wasn't it? But I think we'll we will talk about the incomprehensible IQ. It took for them to give that game away to Cleveland. It just, you just see those sorts of things. You know, just Tibbs, did Tibbs have to take a crap or something? Like, was he like, you know, like, you know, you're tapping your foot and you're like hoping that, you know, you know, you just need to you know, wait for a timeout so you could run back and drop a deuce. And you know, just, you just, it just doesn't fill you with confidence when you see stuff like that. Like he's Brad Stevens doesn't do that. You know, Pop ain't doing that. Right, you just good coaches don't let your teams lose games like that. So that for me is going to stick. That's going to stick long and it's going to stick hard. Just when your whole team has a brain snap <laughs> and gives a game away. But um, anyway, um, yes, it's probably okay. It probably is D'Antoni's best chance, but I'm still in the ten percent probability. LeBron's in, in Houston next year with his pal Chris Paul, and uh, 
so yeah, they'll, and Maury will find a way to move the money. He'll find a way to get LeBron if LeBron wants oh, to come look, to Texas. That's possible. Yeah. That, yeah. That's quite possible. Yeah. But ten uh, percent. Look, oh, my money's still on LeBron staying in Cleveland, but uh, because I just no one's convinced me of the storylines of him going anywhere else. But we'll wait and see. Uh, yeah. what happens and no doubt we'll, we'll talk more about that as the season goes on and the LeBron watch will continue as alright mate uh, so we'll leave it there we might talk uh, if not next week in the fortnight I know you've got a busy week coming up Daz but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to talk again soon and uh, see where we're headed because we're going to be on the the, um, the run into the fo- uh, into the playoffs without a doubt in the next few weeks yeah kind of crunch time now isn't it um, seeding is everything yep that's right all right, mate. Okay, good buddy. to talk to you again. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, pal. Thanks, mate. Bye.